Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Again, every Sunday, 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. You can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421 in Madison. That's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. If you're familiar with the area, we're just 2.2 miles north of the old Jefferson Proving Ground entrance right on Highway 421. I want you to know this morning, though, that that we would love to have you come join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. or Sunday nights at 6 p.m. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. In just a few moments, you're going to hear this Sunday's message, the exact same message that you'd be hearing if you were with us in person at Liberty. We broadcast our current message so that if you would like to join us next Sunday in person at Liberty Christian Church, you haven't missed anything. In fact, you'll be up to speed and ready to hear the very next message that naturally follows what you're about to hear today. This morning as you're listening, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible if you're able. I encourage you to take notes if you can. Try to write down the main points that you catch from today's message. Write down the Bible references that you hear so that you can read over them again later. And be sure to jot down anything else you hear this morning that you think is important or you might like to study further. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it is my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. I can't preach a sermon series called Stories from the Road without mentioning one of the most often repeated Brown family stories from the road. When I was pretty young, I noticed that when dad drove on any interstate highway and needed to change lanes, he used his standard rear view mirror, his side view mirrors, and his three children in the back seat. I do recall dad leaning forward and backward and then kind of side to side, moving his head and neck around to get a few different angles as he would look out both side mirrors. And at some point in the that part of the process, he would go ahead and turn on his signal. But before he would actually make the lane change, he would call for the all clear report from those of us in the back seat who would actually twist ourselves all the way around to actually look through the back window to assess the situation. And we would call out things like, oh yeah, it's totally clear, go whenever you want. Or sometimes, after this white pickup truck, it's completely clear. Or other times, you can go now if you hurry. (laughs) However, one day as we were traveling down the interstate, dad made the call to the back seat. And as I recall, dad was trying to gain clearance for a single lane change to the left. And it was Lori who made the official call. I'm not sure if that's because she was the oldest or because she was sitting on the driver's side of the the back seat there. Regardless, Dad called out, is it okay to go one lane to the left? Is it clear? Well, we all saw that it was clear. I think Dad pretty much knew it was clear too. But in that split second, at 75 miles per hour, with turn signal engaged, a slight veer to the left already started. In response to Dad asking, is it clear? Lori blurts out, no! problem at all. All clear. (laughs) That may have been the closest thing to a heart attack that any of us had ever experienced as the car jerked back to the center of the original lane that we were traveling in. Now, why did dad ask us to look back for him? 
because dad was a firm believer in blind spots. I remember being told about them when I was younger, but I felt like it was, you know, urban legend or something. I felt like people were probably just being lazy in how they looked at their mirrors. But I've come to find out that when you're traveling down the road in a car and relying on mirrors, there are definitely blind spots. They are real. But there's a simple solution. Check them. Check your blind spots. See what's there and respond appropriately. In today's story from the road, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And as the conversation goes along, the disciples reveal that they have some blind spots. Now, in this case, they didn't realize they had these blind spots and they didn't ask Jesus to point them out, but they did have blind spots and Jesus did point them out. But even better than simply pointing them out, Jesus provides some clarification and some explanation, some actual useful solutions even. So, Using the disciples' apparent blind spots and Jesus' responding comments, we get this interesting little lesson about being a disciple of Jesus. As you probably already realized, today's Stories from the Road message is called Blind Spots. And our main text is going to be Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. If you'd like to go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles, You might remember when we discussed last week's story from the road, Jesus had decided to go to Jerusalem. He was heading back from Galilee through Samaria, uh, heading toward Jerusalem. And so today's story takes place on a road heading into Jerusalem. We know they've made some progress at this point because at the beginning of Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. So they're definitely getting closer to Jerusalem now as we start, as we pick up reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 30. Mark records this event like this. He says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to him, said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the 10 began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." This morning, I want to point out to you three blind spots that the disciples clearly had here. Three blind spots recognized and addressed by Jesus, and in each one, a lesson that we, as disciples of Jesus, might want to check out and make sure these aren't blind spots in our lives. So blind spot number one, 
It, this is the cup only Jesus could drink. Blind spot number one is the cup that only Jesus could drink. This blind spot comes up in verses 35 through 38 when James and John asked Jesus the big question. But we really need to back up to see what prompted them to ask this question. As they were on the road up to Jerusalem, Jesus pulls the 12 aside, and in verses 33 and 34, he tells them that while they're in Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, spat upon, scourged, and killed, and three days later, he'll rise again. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has shared this information with his disciples. This is not the first time that he's told his disciples uh, about this fact that he is going to lay down his life and rise again three days later. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. A chapter later in Mark chapter 9, verse 31 says, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. So as Jesus is explaining all this to the twelve in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, this is at least the third time that he's explained this to them. You might assume that they've got it all figured out by now. But it's interesting Luke's parallel account reveals to us in chapter 18, verse 34, that the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. That's what Luke says. Luke tells us this was a blind spot. But honestly, it's not just Luke. Honestly, the disciples kind of gave that away in their interaction with Jesus in verses 35 through 38. After they hear Jesus explain what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, they want a favor. They want to know if they can have an elevated position in the Lord's kingdom. They wanted to sit one on his right and one on his left in his glory, in his kingdom. They were asking for an elevated position. Now, I can't speak to just how ambitious these two disciples were, but at a minimum, we know that they were not content to be on the same level as the rest of the Lord's disciples. And given the fact that scripture tells us they didn't understand what Jesus was getting ready to go through, it's highly likely that these special seats that they wanted to occupy were, at least in their minds, VIP positions in an earthly kingdom. Jesus tells the disciples here, you do not know what you're asking. Blind spot, right? Jesus continues though, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? One commentary concisely paraphrases the power of these questions as Jesus saying it like this. You ask for thrones. Can you die and in spirit suffer death before death as I do? Can you take up the cross and come after me and go to the throne by the way that I take it? Well, the answer is obviously no. The disciples, though, they say we are able, but obviously they weren't. No one could do what Jesus did. It, now, it's tempting to think I'd never do that. I'd never be so presumptuous. That might be true. That might be true. You might not desire to hold some leadership role in the church. You may not want to be a preacher, a teacher, an elder, a deacon, a song leader, or anything like that. And more than likely, you don't expect Jesus to put you on any kind of pedestal in his kingdom either. But it's pretty easy to begin to, to just go ahead and place ourselves in seats that, that we have elevated above others. You hear that? It's easy to begin to just go ahead and place ourselves in seats that we have elevated above others. I've been a Christian longer than them. 
I know more about the Bible. I've volunteered more. I've been at this church longer than them. I give a lot more money than they do. I'm just sure that I pray more than they do. In some ways, it might be worse to elevate ourselves than to ask Jesus to elevate us above our other brothers and sisters. Blind spot? In addition, how often do we make less than humble requests of the Lord? Like James and John who first told the Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, right? We ask things like this, God, please give me what I want. God, please bless me with a good job. Bless me with great income. Bless me with well-behaved kids. Don't let me get sick. God, I want a nice truck. I want you to send me a good-looking spouse. I want you to make me happy. God, don't make me suffer. Lord, grant that I would not have to be persecuted. God is not a genie in a bottle, and our ability to pray did not come without great cost. We're able to pray to the Father through the Son because Jesus drank the full cup of suffering and experienced the baptism of total immersion of suffering that culminated in the cross. Here's a challenge. Before we ask the God of the universe to do us any favors, let's stop and consider his son and the cup that he drank that no one else would or even could. And as our prayer requests change for the better, our priorities will also. Blind spot number two, the cup Jesus' disciples must drink. Blind spot number two, the cup Jesus' disciples must drink. In verse 39, Jesus goes on to say to James and John, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized, but to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So while James and John cannot do what Jesus is doing, precisely what Jesus is doing, Jesus points out that they will drink of his drink and be baptized with his baptism, meaning they will experience suffering. They will drink that bitter cup for his name's sake. They will be fully immersed in the persecution by men. However, Sitting on Jesus' right and left are not seats that are just handed out to those who ask first. There are two facts here in verse 40. Jesus is referring all assignments of rank to the Father, right? That, that's his domain. And he's pointing out that any special honor given by the Father will not just be handed out to the first person who asks, but it will be reserved for those for whom it has been prepared. Now that begs the question, who have such special honors been prepared for? Here's the answer. Those who are most like Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, isn't that what Jesus told James and John that they would do? That they would follow Christ's example of suffering? He said, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Church, it's uncomfortable to discuss. I, I get it. But the fact is, if you're living faithfully to Christ and his word, you will suffer. You will drink from Christ's cup and be baptized with the baptism of his suffering. Jesus taught that a slave is not greater than his master. He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, So mimic this. 
do this same thing like Jesus did. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? To the point of death, even death on a cross. That, that's our example. The, the example and the attitude that we've been called to adopt is that of Jesus Christ himself. That's a high standard. That's a humble standard. That's a suffering standard. If you go on to that next verse, though, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So what does God honor? Who does God exalt? Those who are humble, suffering servants. Now, now don't just go looking for suffering. Don't just go looking for trouble. But, but really, when was the last time that you suffered, really suffered for Jesus Christ? We might open ourselves up for a little ridicule. We might take a little criticism personally from time to time. We might even get laughed at or, or be offended because we're not taken seriously. But the word of God clearly indicates that if we're following Jesus, if slaves of the master and students of the great teacher, if that's who we are, we'll suffer like he did. In certain parts of the world, like the United States, Christianity has gotten awfully comfortable. Blind spot number three, how to be great in the eyes of God. Blind spot number three, how to be great in the eyes of God. In verses 42 through 45, Jesus teaches the 12 a lesson on how to be great in the eyes of God. Now, you might be wondering, how is this a blind spot? Well, it's clearly another blind spot because verse 41 says that the other 10 disciples got really upset about James and John's request, right? They were either upset that James and John might possibly be placed into some higher position than them, or they were upset because they all had their own desire to hold a special higher position in the Lord's kingdom, and James and John just beat them to the punch. In other words, they either feared that they were missing out on something, or they were upset because they had the exact same ambitious idea that James and John did. So this is a blind spot because if the 12 understood what makes a person great in the eyes of God, they wouldn't have been upset about James and John's request. Once again, Jesus addresses the blind spot. He takes the 12 to the side and he explains to them why they don't need to be bothered about these sorts of things. In fact, Jesus' lesson teaches them that if they have real ambitions of being great in the kingdom of God, they're going to have to go about it in a much different way than they've seen it done in the kingdoms of this world. Jesus specifically says that the great ones in his kingdom aren't the ones who exercise great power and authority over others. He says anyone who wants to be great in his kingdom will become a servant to others. Whoever wants to be number one has to become a slave to all. And then once again, the example is Christ. Verse 45, here's how he closes it out. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you have any ambition to be a great Christian? Do you have any ambition to please the Lord? Do you have any ambition to bring a smile to Jesus's face? Is that something you want to do? Something you ever think about? Of all the world's people, Christians should not be the ones acting like we've entered into this world to be served and preserved. Like Christ, our example, we've been called to give our lives in service to others. 
And not just those who are family or friends or are favorites, not just those who are friendly or those who are fun or those who are attractive or those who have done something for us first. We're here to serve the whole wide world, the the unlovely, the unloving, the unrelated, the unkind, the unholy, the unattractive, the ungrateful, the unsafe, the unimportant, the uninviting, the unfriendly, the unfortunate, the untalented, the unable, the unhappy, the unenviable, and yes, even the unbearable. So how can we become better disciples of Jesus by observing these blind spots? By always bearing in mind the cup that only Jesus can drink. By always striving to drink the cup that his disciples are called to drink. And by always humbly serving others like Christ our example did. As we finish things up here today, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts, that you'd go to live with him forever? I mean, do you know for certain that he's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Scripture says that there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So according to the Bible here, somebody's going to get in trouble when Jesus returns. Somebody's going to pay. Now, who did this passage of scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed here. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you know God, but have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel. Now, before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is obviously the power of God for salvation, but, but what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And now he's going to tell us what that gospel is, what that message is. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised on the third day. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? 
Well, I want to read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, did you catch that? When we are baptized, the Bible says we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. Now, before we can obey the gospel, we must believe the gospel. We must believe that Jesus did what the Bible says he did for us. We need to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. The Bible says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who would come to save us from our sins. He is the son of the living God. He himself is God, one of the three distinct personalities that make up God. And he is God the son who came to earth in human form. We must hear the gospel and believe it. We must trust Jesus completely. We must make a distinct turn away from sinful living and toward God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible calls this change in our behavior repentance. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, we must obey the gospel through baptism, where we are immersed in water by the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is where we are baptized into Christ's death, into his burial, and raised up to newness of life by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from death. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Acts chapter 22, verse 16, make it clear that at our baptism, our sins are forgiven, washed away. 1 Peter 3, verse 21 says, baptism saves us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 teaches us that through faith and as a result of our baptism, we become children of God, clothed with Christ. Let me ask you again, if the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure no doubts that you would go to live with him forever. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions that you have. We would sincerely appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, just keep listening and we'll tell you in just a moment how you can get in touch with us. just listen to the current sermon from Liberty Christian Church, the very same sermon that you would have heard today at our in-person services. 
I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. Join us at 1030 a.m. or 6 p.m. or come to both each and every Sunday at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421 in Madison, Indiana. That's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. If you'd like to call us and leave a message on the church phone, just call 812-273-1518. That's 812-273-1518. Please leave us a message. Let us know that you heard us on the radio. Let us know why you're calling and let us know how we can best follow up with you. You can also go to our website, www.liberty-christian.com. Again, that's www.liberty-christian.com. And you can send us a message directly from our website. Also on our website, you can listen to this message again if you'd like, or you can access a whole archive of past messages by just clicking on listen now. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've been called to meet together regularly. And the pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So if you're able, come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.